Over the next seven weeks, we're gonna be taking a time to just hold up a mirror in front of ourselves and ask some really challenging and difficult questions. We're gonna just linger each week on uh, various topics um, in order to see what's really there and what's, if there's any of this stuff in our lives. Historically, these seven things, for the next seven weeks, historically, these seven things have been called the seven deadly sins. I know uh, you were thinking maybe we could uh, just have a time here for the summer to just keep it casual and, uh, you know, have some summer uh, encouragement. And you will, we, we will be encouraging, but, you know, you go to Crossroads. <laughs> we're going to do the seven deadly sins for the next seven weeks. Okay, so I think... Uh, Amen. No. I think Rod has some uh, really good intuition on this because, uh, let, and just let me kind of explain that for a second. We're calling it vices and virtues. So each week we're going to do one of these sins and then the virtue that would be uh, corresponding to that as best we can. But when we live in a, we live through the last 18 months, it, it, it's a destabilizing time. And when you go through a destabilizing time, some of the things that you used to be able to, to hide or used to be able to, you know, pretend like they're not there because we get in our patterns and our ruts and rhythms. When you get thrown off, sometimes stuff comes up that you're just like, where did that come from? You know, and I like to refer to the last 18 months as a, as a, a harvest, a, a fruit bearing season. And I have seen a lot of really great fruit come from this church. And many of you through that difficult, the difficult time we've been in have just been so generous and so wonderful. Uh, but we'd be kind of naive to just pretend like there wasn't any rotten fruit that's come up. Sometimes, you know, I've found, you know, I just bite into some stuff from my own life and like, whoa, that was disgusting. Um, where'd that come from? If we don't take the time to slow down and just go one by one through some of this stuff, uh, we might not be able to identify the root of it. We might not be able to, to just on the fly be able to, to set a new pattern forward. If we're in a rebuilding time right now, a time where we're rebuilding our rhythms and patterns, the things that we're doing, so why not figure out a way to become the people that God wants us to be, to take more steps closer uh, to His will for our lives? Now you might be thinking right now, vice, virtue, okay, vice is kind of a pithy word, doesn't really strike me. I'll, I'll just be abundantly clear right now. What I'm calling you to is the, set, the next seven weeks of an all-out fight against idolatry that we sometimes let live in our hearts and lives. Some of the things, that, all of these things that we're going to bring up are seven of the most cunning and powerful idols that, that, that live and have torn apart lives of Christians, marriages of Christians, torn apart lives of humans all, all throughout history. But I believe that God can move in us. If we are humble and come to Him, He will draw near to us. And if we take some time and make some confessions and make some commitment and, and, and evaluate ourselves, I think that we can, uh, we can't get back to a place that we once were. So who am I talking to right now? I'm talking to somebody. Hey? 
I'm talking to this person. Oh, no, I, uh, <laughs> thank you. I'm talking to somebody, maybe when you think about it, there's been some stuff that's been coming up pretty regularly that you are not proud of. Maybe there's been some stuff that's been coming up uh, out of your life where you think, you know what, it's been a while since I've been in lockstep with the Holy Spirit. It's been a while since I felt like I was on mission and, and it was inspired by God and I was moving in this direction with, with a fury. It's been a while since I felt that passion that I once felt when I first was saved. It's been a while since I felt like I had a relationship with God. And today's the day where I get it back. The next seven weeks are a time where we're gonna take it back and, and, and start to move towards the will of God, if you, if you would. So we thought it would be wise and to just take a moment here at the beginning and just pray for each other and pray for, um, pray for your own lives. And, and, and I'm gonna ask Matt and Renee Kenny to come and lead a time of prayer for us, if you, if you will. I don't know if you're like, if you're like me, um, these times when we talk about things that confront us, um, there are times when my heart is really open to receive and then there's other times where I have things in my life um, that might be standing in the way of, of a heart that's, that's moldable, of a heart that's soft, and a heart that's willing to receive. And so what we'd like to do for a minute is um, we're just gonna take a couple moments of silence. And what I would invite you to do uh, along with us is Think about anything that might be going on in your life right now that would make your heart unreceptive today. That would make your heart hardened towards the things uh, that Dan is gonna bring and that we're gonna be looking at over the next few weeks. And so let's take some moments of silence. If there's anything that's standing in the way, I just invite you silently in your own heart to just release it to the Lord, surrender it to the Lord. So let's take a few moments of silence. Father God, thank you so much for this gift of gathering here together. It is such a gift to be able to come here and worship you and praise you, to learn more about you and your goodness, your kindness, your mercy, and your unfailing love for us. Father, thank you that your word says that when, you, that when we pray, you bend down to listen to us. So God, we come to you in prayer grateful that you bend down to listen. We seek you and we are humbled by you, by your love. There is no love like yours. God, thank you for your word. We ask that you would help us to apply your word to our lives in the power of the Holy Spirit. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to move in us. Over the next seven weeks, Lord, we ask that you would show us places in us that are not living in the fullness of your gospel. Areas where we are seeking life and identity, belonging, purpose, relief, anything that we're seeking apart from you. And God, may we be people who not only hear your word, but may we be people who apply your word to our lives. Give us the courage to repent and surrender these places to you and to do all that we can do to run in the other direction, to run with you and your power. God, thank you for the gift of repentance. Thank you that we get to repent to you. And help us to remember that we were created to live within your safe, 
boundaries and that within those boundaries, that's where we find true life and peace. And Father, thank you that you are so patient with us, that you are not impatiently waiting for us to get our acts together, but rather you invite us to bring our brokenness, our shame, our pain. You invite us to bring all of those to you in exchange for relationship with you, for your mercy, for your love. May we walk closer to you, God. And God, we pray for Dan as he is about to teach. Lord, your word tells us to ask that we would fearlessly declare your gospel. So I pray that you would help him to fearlessly declare your gospel today. Give him the words to say, the words that you have for us today, that we would be more changed to look like your son, Jesus. Jesus, there is no name that is higher than your name. So it is in your name that we pray. turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 20. A very popular way of going to read today a parable of Jesus and it's a very popular way of teaching for, for him. And I love parables because rather than just sort of getting a statement or kind of a paragraph, parables bring us into the real world. And and show us sometimes some things, how things work um, that we can really resonate with and can bring us to a place, uh, a profound place that Jesus kind of wants to put his finger on. And so I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 20, but I'm going to start, if you would, with one verse prior to that in, in 19, 19 verse 30. If you stand with me, please, for the reading of God's word. Matthew 19, verse 30. But many who are first will be last. And many who are last will be first. For in the kingdom of heaven, it's like a landowner who went away out early in the morning to hire workers to work his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a day's wage for the day and sent them to his vineyard. It was about nine in the morning. He went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go work in my vineyard and I'll pay you whatever is right. And so they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. It was five in the afternoon. He went out and still found others standing around and asked them, why are you standing here all day long doing nothing? 
Nobody's hired us, they said. So he said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them for their wages, beginning with the last ones hired, going on to the first. The workers who were hired first, or about, or the, the workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each one received a day's wage. So when those came who were hired first, well, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a day's wage. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last have worked only one hour. <laughs> and you've made them equal to us? Who borne the burden of work and the heat of the day? And he answered them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a day's wage? Take your pay and go. I want to give. I want to give. The one who was hired last, the same as I gave to you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. Amen. The topic for today is envy and contentment. Envy and contentment. In Proverbs chapter 14, there's a proverb that I like. You might know it. Um, a heart that is at peace brings life to the body, but envy will rot the bones. You ever heard that? Envy will rot the bones. Does anybody resonate with that? There is this thing that, that, that we can do as we start to think and compare and, 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 and patterns of our mind, how it goes to work inside. It starts to get us inside out. It starts to rot our bones. So what is envy? I have kind of a rough draft definition. I'm kind of living in, you know, I'm just trying to... Um, I'm test driving it. Okay, so it's, a, it's, a, it's a, a stirring up of resentment for something that you don't have or an agitation to resentment within you when you see something that you don't have. It could be anything. Literally, it could be anything. I mean, I, 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 that's why it's hard to describe for me because you don't want to just pick on people, right? And so I was asking the Lord just to help me with this. And guess what? My prayers were answered. And I was given an example about myself <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> hey, thank you. Exactly. So think, get, get a hold of this. Yesterday was kind of a crazy day. There were 21 Thompsons at my house. Okay, Thompson's my last name. There were 21 people from my family at my house yesterday celebrating my daughter's birthday. Five of them were bit by my dog. I mean, it was intense. <laughs> my dog never bites anybody. That's what's going on. Oh, yeah, we're going to just have a casual time together. No, we're doing house projects now. We've got wires. We're wiring around. It's, it, was, it was crazy. Well, of course, we go to Lowe's like five times because you buy the wrong thing. You have to go return it. You guys know what I'm talking about. Then you got to get the right thing. My brother and I, and he'll vouch for this, we're driving and I'm talking, being myself, and I'm observing the car in front of us. This isn't a driving analogy. For all of you calling me out about that, that this is a driving preface. The truck in front of us is kind of a cool late 80s F-250. I, I, I kind of like it. It's a two-tone. I'm like, good for this guy. He's going to Lowe's too. So I'm going to talk to him when we park. 
because that's the way I am. We go to park, and guess who pulls in right next to this F-250? A 1979 Bronco XLT. I'm like, hey, mint condition. I say to the guy, what is this, a, a vintage car show here? And let's have a little group chat. And so we're standing in the parking lot talking. And the guy with the Bronco, he leans over the, the truck by the Ford. He's like, yeah, I'm glad you appreciate this Bronco. It's actually my wife's car. I rarely ever drive it because I don't have time when I'm trying to drive my 1968 GTO soft top, one of my top five favorite cars of all time. And then he goes, but that's just sitting in the garage next to my Porsche 911. And I literally asked my brother, I literally say this, I hate you, see you later. And I just walked into the store. <laughs> I was trying to make him laugh. I don't really hate him, I just hate him, okay? I am like... Get me out of here. A, a, a resentment was stirred up from within me seeing or thinking about something I don't have. And, uh, and yeah, so this can happen in, in all various ways of our lives. And is it a big deal or not? Does it deserve to be on the list of the seven deadly scary sins? Well, let's ask James, the brother of Christ here. I, I have a verse I'd like to show you um, from James chapter 3. He, who, who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by their deeds done in humility that come from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't brag about it. Don't deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. We get pretty riled up about stuff these days. Certain topics, certain things that people think, the way people are. And, but let me ask you, this is the last time you evaluated, am I, am I having any envy a part of my life? Because if you believe that James is right, you might be lining up with a demonic uh, practice or an influence of your life that comes from, um, that's demonic. You might start to find things in your life that are just strangely out of order. And, and you're doing stuff that shouldn't be doing, that you're buying stuff you shouldn't be buying. I don't know, you, it, disorder. You might start to see things that would fall under the category of pretty much every evil practice. This idol can really infiltrate every area of our lives. So as I was starting to think about how to, how to bring a story into this and, and, and bring this up, I, you know, you're looking at the Bible and topical kind of stuff is hard for me to wrap my mind around. I started to think, good grief, every evil practice. Could this go all the way back to the beginning of evil practice? <laughs> I mean, could you envy something that somebody knows that you don't know? I mean, think about Adam and Eve and, and, and that, that voice and that temptation. It starts to say, you know what? God knows something. He's got something you don't have. He knows about something. You should maybe take from the tree, eat that fruit, and get that for yourself. It's not fair. Some sort of agitation happening inside of their hearts, you know. Uh, Cain and Abel. Could you envy some favor or blessing or a win for somebody else that, that you just didn't get? The Bible doesn't say why. 
God just favored Abel's offerings. Could envy stir one up to even do something like murder? Envy could, 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 could happen. Uh, you, you see this on down the list with uh, Jacob and Esau and, and, and Leah and Rachel. And you, you see the, uh, Joseph and, and his brothers and the envy that they had for what he has. You see this in the wilderness. You can envy a past time of your own life and wish that you had that. You don't have it. You can see it. You, you know, I wish we could go back to Egypt and, and have what we used to have. A whole nation can start to envy together. Oh, God, why can't we have a king that they have? Why can't we be like the other nations of this world that are legit? And their first king, he had a bout with envy himself, didn't he? So remember that song, Saul has his thousands, but David is ten thousands. And that seed of envy grew in Saul to the point that it drove him insane. This is not a whimsical Idol. This is not a, a sin that we should take lightly. But there's so many times where we just, I think, justified. I think our world has a way of working it sort of just into our lives. I'd like to just sort of point that out here before we get into the, to the story. I have a question about that. What do you do when sin seems logical? When it makes sense? What do you do when the devil uses math against you? Starts to talk in your ear and add up things that you should have that you don't have, or add, start to point out certain things and say, hey, you know, what about this? If you would have been this, you'd have got this. What do you do when it just starts to feel right to do the wrong thing? When you start to justify this? I think that this sin, it can tear apart, it can tear the joy out of our lives. I think that it can uh, cause us to think all kinds of dysfunctional things about our identity and our self-worth. And it can take us as far away, it can carry us away if we let it in. So I'd just like to present you with that um, and let you chew on it a little bit as we go. Matthew 20. Can't get to Matthew 20 without going to Matthew 19, I don't think. That's why I read that last verse of Matthew 19. Luckily, Tim Bassett read Matthew 18 last week, like we planned it, but we didn't. <laughs> if we were, good. That's good. That's what good looks like. I mean, wow. Uh, but we didn't. And so just remember, Tim read from Matthew 18, and, 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 and Jesus, at the end of that reading, he makes a huge shift. He leaves Galilee, and he starts to travel to Jerusalem. He goes down the Jordan River, and he, he banks west, okay, to go up to Jerusalem, to go to the cross. And here he stops in Jericho. Now this is a famous stop in Jericho. There's tons of stories that happen here. I mean, one of the parables in my top five faves, the parable of the 10 talents and the ruler who goes away to become king. He heals uh, some blind people in this uh, pit stop here. One of them, we know his name is Bartimaeus. You remember the, the blind man, Bartimaeus, who, who was calling out for Jesus, the son of David, to have mercy on him. And then there's this other pretty popular story where some of the people in the Gospels call him a rich, young ruler. Or what Matthew calls him, just a rich guy. And Matthew brings this rich guy into the story. He comes before Jesus and he says, hey, what must I do to inherit eternal life? 
and Jesus starts talking to him about what, what is good. And there's a prayer in the Jewish uh, tradition that just calls God the good, you know, uh, Hatov. He is the good, and he, we, we, where does good come from? And why don't you do the word of the one who is good? Those are good things. And, and the guy's like, no, 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 no. I'm not talking about Bible verses. I know what the Bible verses say. I have done all of these things since my youth, you know? And, and he wants some assurance. And I'm not trying to read in too much to what this conversation was, the reason behind a lot of this, because it doesn't say, and, and you know, I'm kind of just living in it. But that's hard for me because I've never been mistaken for a wealthy person. And so I'm not going to presume to know all the motivations, uh, you know, the ins and outs of this guy's psyche. Uh, but it looks like he, he's really wanting to get some assurance and he has, he thinks he can get it. And I think sometimes this exists in the lifestyle of people who are of means. Sometimes it's just like a yes. There will be a yes there. I know how to get it. I need something, and I'm going to I'm not saying he's bribing Jesus, although I don't know. Maybe he would have if he could pay for some sort of assurance somehow. I don't know, but I'm not going to put that on him. But this conversation is headed in that direction, and for whatever reason, Jesus decides to put a pretty high bar out there for him. And he says, if you want to be free and follow me, then give everything you have to the poor. The man walks away sad. I don't jump to conclusions here, except for maybe he went and did it, okay? I always like to think that. I'm a positive young man, okay? I like to think he probably went and did it. Let's give him the benefit of that. Maybe he didn't, I don't know. Doesn't say. But he then goes away sad, and the disciples have some follow-up questions about this. They're like, okay, <laughs> This, this, is, this seems impossible. Like you're putting an impossibility out there. And I'm thinking the same thing. I, every time I read that story, I'm like, good grief. I don't want to be around when Jesus eats that for breakfast because whatever happened that afternoon, that seems pretty harsh. I don't, you know, like, I don't even have that much stuff. And I would hate for Jesus to say, Dan, this is what you got to do. Um, and I, I like to just sort of interact in my heart with God sometimes. I'm just like, good, isn't that just a little too much? Couldn't you just have met him halfway and like said, you, you know, just tithe more or like uh, be more generous and, and, and be a part of my group or, or something like that? Why did it have to be so dramatic? And, I'm res and, 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 and each time this story comes up, I am confronted with the same answer. No. I'm not going to make it easy for him. When Jesus perceives that somebody is trapped by something and the claws of something are, are in this person, he's not going to be nice about it. He will be ruthless and say, whatever it is, if you've got competition in your heart, Jesus will not be roommates with it. He is not going to share the throne of your life with something that, is, that you're that connected with. And so he calls it out. Whatever it might be, upward mobility or, or, or new status or respect or comforts, he'll say, this is what you need to let go of to be free. And he calls him forwards in this. So Peter goes for some validation here, I think, and says, well, Lord, we've left everything for you, right? Like, this is good. And Jesus affirms it and says, 
Anybody who doubles down on me here, anybody who leaves stuff for me here, I will meet them in the age to come and double down on them. I will, I will bring them a hundredfold. And then he says the line, for the first shall be last and the last shall be first. And what does that line mean? Okay, this is something I've been wrestling with for a while and I really want to understand it because it's a very popular line, you know, if you're running in the circles of, of the gospels. This is something you've heard before probably. The last shall be first, the first shall be last. And I want to know, why did Jesus say that line in the, in the train of this story? You can't really blame the, the guy, the, the, the wealthy man for, for being the way he is. I mean, he lives in a world that we all live in where you're... you're you're trained to, to try and get as much influence and money as you can and, and, and try and also kind of do that while being a Christian too and try and like uh, accumulate this stuff. And, and, and that's something that a lot of us sort of just accept. Yes, that's a good thing. And I'm wondering if there's something behind the assumptions here about how we're supposed to be that Jesus is looking at and saying, I'm going to start to, to tell you, don't just assume the way that the world says to do leadership, the way the world says to do finances, the way the world says to do things is always going to be the right thing for the Christian in the kingdom of heaven. Actually, sometimes it might look like completely upside down. That line connects to this parable, and I know this because of a fancy word, an inclusio. Huh? That's a nice fancy is that Italian or no, maybe Latin? Inclusio, simply you know, people of my ilk refer to this as a sandwich. The sandwich is this line is placed on either side of the parable to tell us that this parable is explaining these lines. So if it comes from that story and ends that story, we have to then bring that into this parable. And I'd like to bring that same trajectory into the parable of Jesus is challenging, not just money. He's challenging a way of thinking, a way of being in this world and that he wants to point out. And he does it in a really brilliant way because the parable isn't as straightforward as it sounds. Actually, it takes a couple of twists and turns. So let me explain. You see the parable, it's kind of like a linear story, you know? It's like a day in the life in the vineyard of God or whatever, right? And like, you, you've got guys coming from the marketplace early in the morning to work all day. And then you've got guys periodically added to the vineyard as the day progresses. They're all promised to be getting paid. And then halfway through the parable, you start to see where Jesus kind of pulls the rug out from underneath us. Because you would expect, if this was just to explain simply the wooden line, the last shall be first and the first shall be last, you kind of see that happening when they're getting paid. The last person gets paid first and the first is going to be last. Thanks, Jesus. New rule. Okay, this is how the kingdom of heaven works. If you're the, if you're the last, you're the first. That's not what Jesus is teaching here, though. That's just what's drawing us in. Because that makes, you know... People, I think it was Nietzsche who came up with a, a critique of Christianity when people use it as um, a weapon against people who are wealthy now. They'll say, well, the last <laughs> shall be first soon. And uh, first people here are going to be last. And it becomes a weapon sort of to like say to the, to, to the wealthy, I'll be laughing. 
soon, right? And, and I, I don't think that, that this line is meant to do that and, and, and cause us to, to have hatred for somebody. I think Jesus is doing something else with this because when they get paid, nobody cares about who gets paid first. You notice that? The guys who started working early, they don't give a rip who gets paid first. They care that the other guys are getting paid the same as them. So what is going on in this parable? It's a parable about equity. It's a parable about what's right and what's fair. And what happens is envy starts to work its way into these people's uh, perception of what's going on. It's working its way into how they view their relationship with the master and their identity. And as they compare with other people, it starts to eat them from the inside out. Let me point a few things out. Seems to me like envy as displayed in these guys, has a way of stealing your joy. Envy completely steals the joy, ruins the party. They woke up this morning with no job and no promise of a job. They're just, they're going and hoping to get called up. They didn't know they were gonna get paid. They didn't know what kind of person was gonna hire them. Maybe it was a mean person. Maybe it was a nice person. At some point in the day, they probably felt like pretty lucky guys. We got called first. It's great. Early, word, early bird gets the worm. Let's go. And this guy's really nice. And he's just, he's telling us what we're going to get paid. This is great. But then, by the end of the day, by all rights, they should just say, this was a good day. Something ruins it. Envy will rob you of joy. I mean, think about it. Remember when you got the job that you wanted? Do you ever get the job that you wanted and you just get the phone call? I, I got the job that I wanted, okay? I, I'm talking to myself. This is, I, Rod called me on the phone and I was like, I just won the lottery to get to work at Crossroads. It was a real euphoric experience for me because I was in the Jelly Belly factory in Wisconsin eating jelly beans when I got this call. So I don't know if it was a sugar rush or what, I always like to eat the ones that taste bad, like they make them taste like hay or whatever, yeah. Um, what happens, man? The heat of the day. You work through the heat of the day. You start to feel like, man, this is a really hard thing to do. And then you see somebody who gets it a little easier. And you're like, ugh. Did you ever just see somebody in your work where you're like, that guy's got it easier for me. You know, when I got hired, we used to get paid this and that. Or now they are so lucky. And then all of a sudden, you start to feel like you don't like this job anymore. Start clicking on LinkedIn or whatever people do to look for other jobs. I've never done that because I'm a loyalist, so <laughs> I don't know how to do that. Anyway, but uh, you know, the types. How about this one? Doing weddings is my favorite part of my job. I do them all the time because I love it. People get up in front of, a, you know, and they say their vow and they're, they're so excited. You can see they're crying. They're like, I love you. And then they get married and then five, eight, Nine years go by, and you know who they hate? Newlyweds. <laughs> I, have you ever been a part of this conversation? Oh, I can't wait till they have kids. <laughs> oh, Mr. Globe, Dave Ramsey. Okay, you, we'll see. When you have 12 kids, what you're going to do with your envelope system. No. They're just, there's hatred. Oh, you're so happy. Get out of here. You know, whatever. It's like this agitation of resentment arises and they're like 
seeing something that they don't have anymore. And you got to ask yourself, where did that go? Where did my joy go? And how have I let it get to this point where it started to eat at me? What about your relationship with God? Is there a time where you just were hit? You just felt it. You felt the Holy Spirit just hit you and just say, yes, this is you. I love you and I want you to be here. Sometimes the heat of the day comes in and, and you're working through it and, and, and then you just start to, start to lose that love. Start to look around at the way other people are living and things that they're getting. Have you lost the joy of your salvation? Is today a day where you say, I want to get it back? Comparing ourselves, this is another way to let envy into our lives, and it's super dangerous. If you start comparing yourself to other people, uh, this is where that joy goes, this is where that envy lives. And you know what's hard is we all have cameras. Every single person is taking pictures of everything they're doing, and you get to see it. Some people, I mean, I'll be eating, I have my own chickens, I eat my own eggs, and I love it, but then you see a picture of one, and somebody else had better eggs, and it's like, this is now bad, I don't want it anymore, you know, or whatever. I've seen pictures of places that I've gone to on vacation recently, and someone else is there, and I'm like, it looks a lot better, they're having more fun than I, I don't, why are they so happy, and I'm not, and it's like, this comparison stuff, it really starts to eat away at us, for them, Turn them into a victim. And they weren't even a victim. God, I mean, the, the, the landowner, he's like, what you, I haven't wronged you. you. This is what you agreed to. What are you talking about? I haven't wronged you. There's a lot of things that sometimes we just start to, to, to justify that we're victims of when we're not actually victims of anything. Um, I've been reading up on just some early church stuff lately and some stories of people who gave their lives for the Lord and this was something that drove Rome crazy. That these people, they, they couldn't turn them into victims. They would take things from them. They would try and, 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 and ruin their lives. They would take their family, they would put them in jail. Uh, they would take their kids from them. And because of what they had, their love for Christ and their desire to show Christ crucified in this world, they couldn't turn them into victims. They, they wouldn't look at themselves and say, man, this is wrong. They wouldn't look at God and say, how dare you? It's not fair. I think that this is the secret to contentment. If you have a vision that's so powerful and stunning to you, um, like Christ crucified, and you look at that and you're like, this is it. I see that and I want my life to be hidden into that, you know, like the Apostle Paul. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I mean, you know, he says stuff like, I have suffered the loss of all things. I'm letting it go. You're able to stop being, one, is able to stop being so concerned with the stuff that we have to keep and hang on to and enjoy because you see that. And here's another, the other side of it. When you do that with, with Christ crucified, a peace from the Holy Spirit comes to your life and that peace sustains you as you just as things come and things go if we can get to that place of vision and peace we'll start to walk away from living a life of envy and, and a life of constant comparison when we start to compare 
we lose our identity. This is where it gets real. When we start to compare, we start to lose our self-worth. That voice comes to the back of our heads and says, if you had that, then you would be valuable. But you don't. If you looked like that person, you'd be way more lovable. It's not fair. That person eats Krispy Kreme all day and I just look at the sign and gain five pounds or whatever. It's not fair. Why am I not made that way? Why can I not have that thing this person uh, has? And it just begins to, 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 to really guide and drive our lives. So today, if you want to live into the contentment, then start to ask God to, to, to reorient what you're looking at and the vision that you have and to, to follow fresh in your life to see the cross as the thing that inspires you to be able to suffer the loss of all things. And maybe it's a time to just revisit why we get baptized, to die to the world as you go into that water, to die to that and to be raised to walk in newness of life and say, from now on, this is where I'm headed. You will be met with a peace from God that will surpass your understanding. It will give you the ability to say, I, Whatever happens to me, happens to me. But I've got this focus here that's so worth it, I would suffer the loss of anything. What if we had a church where everybody was looking and doing like that? What would the world, it would be just as enigmatic as, the, as, as it was in Rome. What are these people doing? They have a peace to be so generous and loose with the things that we're all just fighting for. This is how the last shall be first and the first shall be last works. Jesus takes a paradigm that the world lives in and says, I'm gonna turn it upside down through my power and through who I am. Because the rest of the world is gonna tell you, there's not enough blessing to go around. There's not enough money to go around and you can't be getting paid what I should be getting paid. I should be getting paid more than you. That's the way the world is gonna tell you. If that person wins, since there's a limited amount here, you lose. If they win, you can't celebrate a victory that somebody else has. That's a threat to you. And the one thing that is just so justifiable in our world is to accumulate for my family and myself as much as possible. And we just look at each other and think, you're a threat to me if you win. But in the kingdom of heaven, Jesus says, you know what? You guys have been casting your net on that side of the boat for far too long. And there are not enough fish in there, you're right. But if you would trust me and cast it to the other side, I wanna show you what I can do. And I wanna show you what I can give. And when that landowner says to those people, I want to give, I just want to give. I hear the voice of God just speak right to my heart. I want to give to them for my abundance. You all are living in a story of lack. I wanna welcome you into a story of abundance. A story that says we have enough to go around. A story that says we have the, the, the resurrection power at work inside of our lives as we sacrifice for one another. And see what I can do with five loaves of bread and two fish. See what I can do with a, with a little bit like the faith of a mustard seed. For the first will be last and the last will be first. 
and the way that the world thinks is gonna be, uh, is gonna be turned upside down. And when they look at you, it's gonna be like light glowing in the darkness where they live in a place that's just so starving. They see you and they run towards it for life. If you're with me on it, let's just take a moment and pray through some of this stuff and see uh, if we can give the Holy Spirit the scalpel uh, and do some work in our lives. Father in heaven, if there's anybody here who just, it's been a while since they had joy in their salvation or in their situation in life, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would bring to light some of the things that they're incorporating into their habits of thinking and patterns of life that's causing them to run after a pattern of this world that says there's not enough. Restore the joy of our salvation. If there's anybody here that's just stuck and just continually comparing themselves to another marriage, another family, another group, or another uh, person with more than them, or more respect, or more happiness, or whatever it might be, um, convict them maybe even just to just <laughs> shake them out of it and break their phone for, uh, for them. <laughs> and give them a vision for, for who they are made to be. So we stop asking the world to tell us how valuable we are and we start asking you. The one who said, I saw you at 9 a.m., I saw you at 12 p.m., I saw you at 5 p.m., and nobody else wanted you in their, in their field, but I want to welcome you into my family, into my vineyard, into my work, and there's, a, there's plenty uh, to go around here. We thank you for giving us your peace as your sons and daughters to be able to live in this world as content as can be.